the, the incredible importance of being consistent in having time with God before anything else and before anything else. He decided to go to court reporting school and he had one goal for doing that. He said, if God calls us somewhere to start a church or to, uh, or to pastor a small church, I want to be able to do something to uh, support my family. Really, there are so, there's so many ministers now that are bivocational. That was his thought. He was kind of a visionary about things like that. That's what I saw from my parents. The ministry was serious business. It was, it was every day, every day. Your dad's response almost had me laughing out loud. He said, either this is happening because the devil is fighting you or because you're out of the Lord's will and you're not doing enough for God for the devil to be fighting you. Hi, this is Gina Carruthers with Following Titus 2, Women Teaching Women. And I am so thankful that you joined us for today's podcast. And I'm excited to introduce to you a great friend and mentor to me, uh, Jan Madden. And she has written a book. It is called The Gift. And I'm also thankful to have my daughter, Ashley Davis, with us tonight. And she's going to, she is better at interviewing the authors than I am. So <laughs> I'm going to let her um, introduce Jan and uh, we're going to hear about her book tonight. Ashley, you want to take it away? Sure. So uh, I'll just start by reading the synopsis on the back of Jan's book so you can get an overall idea, listener, of what Jan's story is about and just a little bit of who she is. So like Gina said, the book is called The Gift, Life After Loss. Daughter of the legendary pastor James Kilgore and his wife, Imogene, of the iconic Life Tabernacle in Houston, Texas, Jan Madden needs little introduction to the members of the United Pentecostal Church International. Born in 1952 and raised in Texas, Madden has led a rich life of faith and family. In The Gift, Life After Loss, Madden reveals her life story and shows how God guides our paths and sees us through even the darkest moments of our lives. Readers of this inspired memoir will laugh and cry with Baden as she tells of her boisterous yet faith-centered youth, marriage to the promising UPC pastor Daniel Koch, years of challenges and successes in the shared experience of pastoring, the crushing loss and years of grieving upon the untimely death of Pastor Koch, and the surprising dawn of a new day in her life with remarriage to Rodney Madden and the discovery of new ministries of service. So we're thankful that you've joined us today, Jan, for uh, this conversation. And uh, thank you for having absolutely. me. Absolutely, I'm honored. Yes, it's our pleasure. And so I just wanted to let the audience know kind of what to expect from this, you know, uh, and what to expect with Jan's book. It's not a a big bulky book. It's an easy read. I want to say that from the beginning that you can cover in a couple sittings, two, three sittings, just depending on your reading speed and anything. You could get hundreds of things out of this book when you read it, just depending on your life season, um, where you are right now 
anything. You could get so much out of it. So we're only going to focus on just a handful of topics uh, in our discussion today. And I just want to encourage you, listener, to buy the book so that you get the opportunity to learn whatever unique lesson this testimony and this memoir has for you uh, as you read it. So these are just the personal things that kind of uh, ministered to me, and I would love to hear uh, as we as we have this this podcast. It's really a discussion with Jan for her to weigh in on these topics. So let's jump into it. And the first thing that I want to talk about is accepting and pursuing God's calling into ministry. So if y'all. Uh, it's pr- probably pretty obvious to our listeners that uh, Gina is a pastor's wife, and uh, and Jan from uh, you would know from me reading the back had that role in her life, has had that role in her life, and my husband is a minister, so uh, automatically I gravitate toward. Okay, what was it like to be a preacher? This preacher's wife, you know, what was this experience? And uh, early into your marriage with Daniel, you described a time when he decided that he was going to go to court reporting school, and you were going to be working as a punch card operator. And but y'all right. were also working in ministry at that time. You were youth pastoring. Right. Right, right. We were uh, right out of Bible college when Dad graduated. He decided to go to court reporting school, and he had one goal for doing that. He said, if God calls us somewhere to start a church or to uh, or to pastor a small church, I want to be able to do something to uh, support my family. Really, there are so, there are so many ministers now that are bivocational. That was his thought. He was kind of a visionary about things like that. And so it was the early, early days of computers. And so I took a, a, a card, a punch card class and had a job doing that. But then we had an opportunity to minister on the weekends. And so... We thought, hey, we are in the ministry. Mm -hmm. We are doing our thing for Jesus. Yeah. And when I read about that, I was thinking, wow, that's really, they're making an investment there because y'all were driving a couple hours every weekend, staying over the weekend, working in the church, and then coming back to your jobs and working all week and, you know, doing the back and forth thing. But you hit a rough patch when you lost your job and Daniel had a car accident in the same week. Um. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about uh, p- your parents here in a few minutes. But you called your parents. You know, I I've been in situations like that. That desperate young person calls mom and dad, and you're really hoping for that loving bailout. Please get us out of this situation. And uh, your dad's response almost had me laughing out loud. He said, either this is happening because the devil is fighting you or because you're out of the Lord's will and you're not doing enough for God for the devil to be fighting you. (laughs) So it must be the latter. (laughs) And I just thought that's so, I mean, I'm laughing about it, but in reality, uh, um, sometimes ministry work these days, and I'm talking as a 32 year old woman, you know, I'm not, I'm not seasoned in ministry yet. Um, is kind of weak sauce. If I can describe it like that, you know, we would think, wow, if you're working a full-time job and you're driving two hours every weekend to work at the church, uh, and then back home, not to mention you're continuing that back and forth and working, that does seem like you're doing something for God, but the old school had another story 
about what that well, meant. Right. And let me tell you, we lived in Southwest Houston and Life Tabernacle was more close to Hobby Airport. And it was really, I mean, that time of day to drive across town uh, in the evenings after work was like an hour, even back then. And so we didn't go to midweek service at Life because we would drive on Friday evening, two hours to Beaumont, get there just in time to do something with the youth. We were doing bus ministry and and outreach on Saturdays and then Sunday, church Sunday morning, church Sunday night, driving back. But because we did not stay involved in our home church during the week, it was kind of like, are you back, right. Are you really? <laughs> right, <going>? right. <laughs> You're not on Thursday night or on yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I hear that. I'm going to read a little section here and uh, just to see what happened next in this part of Jan and Daniel's story. And uh, and also to give our listeners an opportunity to just kind of hear the writing style of the book and to see that it's approachable and an easy read for them. So I'm reading starting on page 19 and it says, though the events of the night did not quite live up to our expectations, dad's word were the impetus that set us back on our path to ministry. In what seemed like a blinding flash of light we should have seen all the time, Daniel and I realized it was not our walk with the Lord to be court reporters and punch card operators. That understood, we went into action to get on the right path. The next days were filled with packing and storing our belongings. Daniel reached out to a pastor for whom he had preached as a young man, and we set out to become evangelists, taking any work possible. Our schedule was never full months in advance. Though many of the churches we ministered in were small, Daniel and I worked as if we were managing a well-attended conference. Hours were spent at the church altar during the day and in preparation to sing and preach. And you go on to describe that your dad bought you an accordion and that any merciful pastor's wife that you met along the way graciously taught you a little bit of how to play. And even so vulnerable as to say, we had to retreat a few times to the Atlanta, Atlanta, Texas evangelist uh, quarters and depend on Daniel's parents to feed us. It was humbling, but also a very sweet time as we learned to cleave to and encourage one another. So, I mean, from my perspective, I'm like, wow, that is that is so inspiring and accepting God's will and pursuing his will for your life and being willing to work for it. Um, I feel like that's really something that has changed over the last several decades as far as young ministry goes. We kind of want an easy uh, platform, an easy opportunity to to work in ministry. And, and really, um, you can't expect, uh, young ministers can't just expect an opportunity like that. It does still require a lot of work. And Ashley, I want to mention that Jan's mom and dad could have easily, easily given her a her and Daniel a platform. They could have easily turned things over to them. And yet they knew the value in letting them, if you will, dig out their own ministry. And even when it's hard to see their kids going through that, they knew there was value in learning those lessons along the way. So I want to debunk the um, notion that people may have that preachers' kids have it handed to them. Exactly right, right. Because... 
uh, my dad could have picked up the phone and made a few phone calls and we would have been in the largest churches in the UPC and a schedule full. Mm-hmm. But he did that. You know, he one time, and I talk in the book about our adventure going to Tennessee in the fall, that first fall that we were married at general conference at home missions in the home mission service, they said, is there a pastor Are there pastors here who would come forward that would give a week to a home mission church and, uh, as in revival and dad went and the pastor there in Waverly, Tennessee, they were in just a little, uh, converted house came to dad, asked if he would come and preach. And dad said he would, but the dates were in conflict. And so dad said, can I send my daughter and son-in-law? There are an evangelist on the field. Can I send them? And we went and uh, I tell about it in the book. It was quite the adventure before we got home for Christmas. But you know what? That is the only time in the time that we spent evangelizing that dad asked if we could go in his place. That's amazing. And you know, back then people didn't really call and say, I'm available. (laughs) We did social media, you know, they didn't really call and say, I'm available. Can I come preach or whatever, which I think that's wonderful that people are able to do that now. I mean, it was like you mm-hmm. had to wait and hope that someone <laughs> visited your revival and you just inspired them so much that they wanted you to come to their church <laughs> or looking for an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to, uh, when we didn't have the money, we made a way to go to district conferences, sectional conferences, camp meetings, because we wanted to talk to people and and maybe schedule revivals. That was your Facebook. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. But you know what? We did. We would go over Mm -hmm. every day and spend several hours in the church practicing to sing, pray the altar, Daniel studying to preach. It it was not just like we were living on a big vacation. Right. We it was serious business with Daniel and with me because that's what we had seen. Right. I, that's what I saw from my parents. The ministry was serious business. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it was every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. It wasn't just you know, two or three days a week, Wednesday night, the weekend. No, it was every day. Yes. I mean, and that's, that's how it should be. It should be every day. It it Mm. is. It's it's not a job. It's a calling. Right. And how did you feel during that season of your life? You know, you're a newlywed and um, not to say you hadn't trusted God before, but, you know, you're literally trusting for your, you know, your essential needs. And were you coming at it from a place of, you know, excited trust in God? Or were you like, oh, Lord, I hope you're going to come through. You know, I can't imagine. I'm trying to think about how my response would be. Well, there were times that uh, we were pretty down to our last nickel. 
and we did retreat to the evangelist quarters in Atlanta, or we or Daniel's parents pastored, or we would go home to Houston for a few days. But you know, overall, I, I, I'm looking back on it. I just always felt like the Lord would make a way. And you know, in those early days, we were living on love, truly. We were just so excited to be together and happy to be together and in love. And if we had to split a hamburger, that was fine with us. You know, we, it, it didn't, but I trusted the Lord. I knew, always felt like, and that goes back to my heritage of um, hearing the stories that my dad would tell about his mother and dad, grandmother and granddad Kilgore, and how the Lord always supplied the needs. And watching my mother and dad, Daniel's mother and dad, and, and just knowing, there was just a knowing inside of me that the Lord supplied. Right. And, and yeah, it a lot of faith. And there were times it was, looking back on it, I'm sure there were times that, you know, were a little shaky, but I don't know. We just, we just felt like everything would be okay. And the Lord would take care of us. We were doing what we were called to do. Right. Right. That's, I mean, talk about some faith right there. That's what it is. So you were, you mentioned your parents and I want to shift to kind of the next, um, topic that I have at hand. Both of your parents were well-known pillars of faith, especially, uh, but not exclusively to the South Texas region. And an, an interesting element of this book to me was getting to kind of look into y'all's relationship there, the, the relationship you had with your parents. And I think also, you know, my perspective coming from being a young younger person, a young minister uh, and minister's wife these days, I think sometimes we tend to discount the value and the richness of the generation that that went ahead of us. You know, we've got newer methods, we've got updated technologies, and we're, we are dealing with and living in a different world than our elders did. But even with all that in mind, um, those of us younger women in the group, we have to remember the value of our parents and the other spiritual mentors that have really blaze the trail of faith ahead of us. So can you speak to the influence that your parents and Daniel's parents had on y'all's lives when you were in the ministry together? Yes, I would love to. We had great examples of integrity. Uh, the Cox did not pastor as large a church as my parents they were not as well known, probably, as my parents. But the life of integrity that they lived and the way that they approached ministry and loving people was, you know, exactly what I had been raised with. And so mother and dad made our life so rich with the friends that they had that were in the ministry that were in and out of our home. And um, so that we were, I mean, they were just like family. None of my mother's family was in ministry. My dad's family was many in ministry. But mother uh, became family like sisters with so many that were um, important in our life. And they spoke to 
spoke into our lives and we respected them and had the opportunity to sit. I, I was sharing just this weekend with Brother Drury. Many people don't know him, but Brother Andrew Urshan, who was Brother Nathaniel Urshan's dad, and a lot of people don't know the Urshans. They were the general superintendent for many years, but before that, they were our good friends, good friends of my mom's and dad's. And Brother Andrew Urshan really escaped from Persia and came to the United States. His story is amazing. And he stayed in our home and preached for us two weeks before he passed away. And my mother loved him. She served him. I mean, she just was so thrilled to have time to just sit at his feet and hear. And he always said, if God wills, the Lord willing, we will do, we will, well, it's time to go to church if the Lord wills it, you know, but he meant it. It wasn't just words to him. He meant it. Everything he did was about what does the Lord want me to do? And that affected me as a 16-year-old girl. And, um, and I still remember it, you know, today. So those people that your parents allow into your life, that speak into your life, you never forget those things. And it's such a rich wealth of wisdom and knowledge that when you least expect it, but need it the most, mm -hmm. it's there. Mm -hmm. And I so know, true. what I find so interesting is that the impact that your parents and other spiritual influences and leaders have on you, even when they don't they don't even have to say anything. It's just living that life of integrity, you know, acting a way that backs up even what they do say that you really take away. Mm -hmm. Even as young as you are describing, you know, we're talking about teenagers. This is even before marriage that you're having these influences in your life. And so just an encouragement to the younger people, ladies listening in the audience, we never, and we never outgrow the need for those kind of mentors. I'm sure I know both of you still have those kind of influences in your life to this day. We we just always need to keep our ears open to those uh, sound, wise people in our lives. And that is a theme that trickles throughout your entire story to me that I noticed over and over again. I'm like, look at that, another person um, that's, that's a wise influence. And man, do we need them? <laughs> yes, we do. Oh, we do. And those influences, Ashley, I, I may add are not always personal, really personal relationships. Uh, I, I've shared this with Jan before. I didn't, I mean, I knew her mother, and but I'm sure her mother probably didn't know who I was. I was a young person in another church in Austin. But I always admired her so much from a distance, just her grace, her integrity, and her demeanor and, you know, just watched her from the distance. I never really had the opportunity to know her. And I've even told Jan before, 
I feel so blessed because I feel like I just kind of get to know Sister Kilgore through Jan. I just get a little piece of it in my life, and it's such an honor and such a blessing. And I, 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 I'm sure I've told her this. I tell many people this. Many years ago, in my early 30s, when I first started turning white-headed, um, uh, it's it's not a conviction of mine not to color my hair. I'm just lazy and cheap. And <laughs> and when people have asked me about coloring my hair or why, you know, why do I, you know, let my hair go gray or go white? And I always in the beginning I would joke and I'd say, you know what, if if uh, Sister Kilgore could go gray-headed and white-headed and be so lovely and beautiful and dignified, I can grow old gracefully too. And so mm-hmm. she was my great example. How old was your mom, Jan, when you lost her? I don't recall. We lost her just a few, two weeks before her 69th birthday. Wow. She was eight years old, way too young. She yeah. still had so much. Well, she had just finished one of the great ladies' conferences for the Texas District, mm-hmm. 12 women in attendance. And she had just directed that, and almost uh, immediately after that, she had been so sick through the whole conference, was diagnosed, and she only lived six weeks. Wow. Diagnosed. She was an incredible woman. She was. And you are, too. I love you very much. Continue on, Ashley. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. uh, People are worthy of the honor that they are due. I mean, these people that have gone Thank ahead you, of us, it's, that is just so true. One of the other themes, and now this wasn't quite as explicitly stated um, in your book as maybe the idea of pursuing ministry or or your parents' influence in your life, but one of the main things that really stood out to me through your whole story and the gift was God's consistency. It's, it was just an underlying theme through the whole story. And I felt like this would be a great place of encouragement to our listeners, especially, you know, at this time of the year, if you're listening later, we are coming up on the holiday season right now. And we, you know, we tend to assume that this is a happy time for everyone, but, but that's not always the case. If, so if someone is in the middle of a season of, of loss or challenge, whether it's known to those around them or not, the holidays can be, they can be a difficult season for some people. But one thing does stay the same. God is the same all the time, uh, no matter what. So how have you seen proof of that truth in your own life? I, when my babies were little, I started getting up in the mornings at 530 And that was because I knew if I didn't get up and have time with God early, once they were awake, there would not be time. And I watched my parents do that. My mother had a favorite window, any home we ever lived in, that she prayed to watch the sunrise. My brother and sister and I laugh about how we're always, always up watching the sunrise because we watched mother and we watched dad when I walked down the stairs or in the house, any of our homes, dad was at the table with his Bible open and a cup of coffee. And I learned very young the the incredible importance of being consistent 
in having time with God before anything else in the before anything else. Reading the word, even though you read the same things. I, I told Rod a few minutes ago, I think the 14th chapter of John is my favorite chapter in the Bible. My fill my life verse is John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. If we can ever get a hold of those kinds of things, then we can get through a lot of things in life. Just an even kill because we refuse to let our hearts be troubled or be afraid. We're living in the peace of God. Absolutely. And that have to we have to get a hold of it. We have to learn how to get a hold of it. And you do that spending time with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you bring up such an interesting point in the the response to the question being also your own consistency. Now we know in our heads, God, as, because it says so in his word that God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's consistent. He doesn't change. He's not a man that he mm -hmm. could lie. We know all these truths about God. Those truths are easier to perceive when you are also consistent in your own life. And sometimes we can feel like, oh, God's so far away. He's not this. He's not that. And it's like, but where are you? Have you been consistent right. to perceive that mm -hmm. he's never left, that he's never forsaken? And uh, you're, you're stepping right on all the things that we love most at following Titus 2. Our whole, Absolutely. <laughs> our whole goal is to for women to teach one another and to create daily consistency in God's word. That's our whole mm -hmm. intention with basically every product that we create. It's either designed to create daily consistency in God's word, or it's designed to draw people in with the hopes that they will find our Bible studies that will help them create consistency. So that is that is right in line with the message that we we want people to hear is that God is the same and consistency with him is what really makes the difference in our yes. own lives. So these few things that we've discussed today, as I mentioned before, they came very specifically from my own perspective and my own experience in reading Jan's book. But I can guarantee that when you read it, you will come away with an even more personal an impactful lesson than the ones that I had to share. When you read it, it'll be totally tailored to what you needed to hear. Um, and we've left a link for you to get your own copy of the gift in our show notes. If you're too busy to go down to the show notes, you can always just jump over there to Amazon and she can be found on amazon.com. And I know that each and every one of you go to Amazon at least once a day. So uh, you can search it by just typing in The Gift and uh, Jan Madden, and you can get it on Kindle. I downloaded mine on the Kindle version. That's the reason Ashley was introducing her at the beginning is because she had the paper book. She's a nerd and she has to have paper when she reads. And I am a geek and I like to have digital. So, hey, comes in all different formats. And I'm thankful, Ashley, you didn't spoil any of the... Um, book for us and yet you shared some great highlights yeah y'all still have to read it to figure out what the gift is i didn't even tell you that much so <laughs> spoiler free review <laughs> well, 
I would also like to add, if you would like to order a signed, if you would like me to sign a book, sign it for someone, I will be glad to mail it. And you can contact me at 512-917-3809. Text me and I will tell you how to get a signed copy mailed to you. That is so cool. I don't know very many authors that will give you their cell phone number and tell you to text them and and get they will send you a signed copy of their book. That is amazing. And you know what? If you haven't got that stocking stuffer filled, if you haven't stuffed that stocking yet, this would be a perfect, perfect book for you to put in somebody's stocking or wrap it up and put it under the Christmas tree. It will meet every age bracket. You can't miss it. You won't go wrong with it. And I know you'll be blessed. Jan, thank you for joining us today. For having me. It's been a pleasure to talk about the gift and I look forward to talking to you again. Well, I appreciate it. And we're actually having you at our ladies' meeting in February at Calvary Church. So we're looking forward to you coming and speaking to our ladies. Ashley, thank you for doing a great job interviewing. Yes, ma'am. Yes. You're welcome. Thank you for uh, uh, enduring me, Jan. I much. Well, I thank our listeners for joining us today. And you know what? I just feel like your mission, Jan, was accomplished because I feel like we just sat around the table and had coffee together. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would like to ask you to like it and share it with a friend and we would appreciate that. Until next time, we ask for God to bless you and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this devotion and podcast today. If you enjoyed it, we encourage you to please like it and share it with a friend. Visit us at Following Titus 2 for the latest Bible studies, resources, and devotions, and recipes. Don't forget that. Have a great day. God bless you.